Welcome to the Daniel Cleland Podcast. Plant medicine. Plant medicine. Entrepreneurship. Expat living. The Daniel Cleland Podcast. Radio. We are officially live, 101 proof unadulterated Cleveland <laughs> madness in the house. Hell We've yeah. got, uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Across the pond, across the ocean, several orders of latitude <laughs> from North to South. We've got, uh, my kid sis, Catherine Cleveland on the, uh, on the call here. She is currently where are you again? I almost forget. <laughs> I'm in London. In London, drinking some tea, mate. What did you say? I was Walkerton with a mix of uh, a cup of tea. <laughs> yeah, Catherine's got this. Uh, Catherine's got this unique accent going on. She she spent a year or two in Australia and uh, Three. started calling people mate <laughs> and. <laughs> I mean, okay, so first of all, uh, you know, we grew up in Canada in a small community called Walkerton, Ontario, which had its N-O-G-2-V-O? own kind of unique NOG 2VO, kind of had its own unique <laughs> uh, accent to it. And then Kat starts traveling and going around the world, ends up dating an Australian guy, spends a bunch of time in Australia, takes on this like tweaky Australian accent to mix with her Walkerton accent and then moves over to London. And, uh, now she's got a little bit of, uh, of UK on top of that Aussie Canadian accent. And so, yeah, made a comment the other day. It's like Walkerton with a cup of tea. <laughs> yeah. I got it. It's hardly noticeable. <laughs> it's noticeable to me, but maybe not to everybody. I else. don't think so. I think it's just you've known me your whole life, so you know. Yeah, yeah. So when was the last time we talked? Well, I tried talking to you the other day, but you were too busy um, putting your business back together, which is totally understandable. Um, but before that, probably like five months. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> sorry about that. Um, that was like that week was that week was a bit stressful because as with everybody in the world right now, uh, COVID, this ridiculous, annoying pandemic has, uh, has really messed with our lives here at Soltara. I mean, we've been shut down completely since March and, um, and we've been, you know, weathering the storm, trying to keep everything alive, trying to keep all the balls in the air and finally making the, uh, you know, the preparations to get rolling again. Like mm-hmm. we're, you know, planning to open in November and, you yeah. know, we've been trying to decide on the dates and like, how do we do this properly? And, you know, it's just been really, really hard and really stressful and frustrating. And uh, as we're making plans to reopen... I, I watch a, a YouTube video with the Canadian Prime Minister, Justin Trudeau, 
uh, giving a, a big long speech to Did he do one the of Canadian these? public. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> He's a bit of a pretty boy. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Uh, Ivanka Trump. You know that <laughs> classic picture of Ivanka Trump eyeing him down. Yeah. Um. But anyways, yeah. So so I watched this this YouTube video, and I could just remember what it all sounded like in March when he was, you know, speaking to the nation from his home and just, you know, stay home, stay locked down. You know, everybody, we're in this together. Don't mm. worry. Big brother government's here for you. You know, yeah. if your business goes under, that's okay. We'll give you, you know, 2000 Canadian dollars for three months and yeah. your life is going to be fine, you know? And, uh, so I start to see, the same elements of that conversation emerging in this new conversation as they start talking about the second wave and, yeah. and, you know, Canada really, I guess, took coronavirus seriously. And, you know, mm. there was never a major outbreak in Canada. Yeah. So, you know, even just a little bit of uptick in cases, you know, people are freaking out, particularly the government, because it almost becomes like a point of, pride for these government officials like oh i'm the one that did well in coronavirus you know mm. so anyways i start to see this kind of these elements coming out in his conversation to the nation and following that one all of the other leaders of all the other political parties in canada came on and started saying a lot of the same things like oh our party's here going to help you through these difficult times and everything and i'm just like you sons of bitches are you planning to go into lockdown again like are you preparing me for another lockdown just like sowing the seeds getting my mind ready for you guys to say well now we've got you know 500 cases a day in canada so we have to lock our borders we have to shut down we have to close all your businesses and and like in that case you know after holding on here for seven months uh, with zero revenue, trying to, you know, keep our employees paid to a minimum degree and, you know, keep mm. food on everybody's table and keep the lights on and everything. If he would have come at me with another lockdown, I'm just thinking like, dude, I can't handle this. I can't well, yeah. handle another lockdown. And that's so, the time I was calling you and you were right. Uh, so <laughs> not, no. you weren't the only one that I was snappy with that week. Um, yeah. I was snappy with dad. Uh, you yeah. know, for those of you who don't know, my my dad's uh, uh, a partner and and uh, a major a major animating force at Soltara. So yeah, I was just kind of for a couple of days, just really stressed out, really annoyed, and basically um, anybody who crossed my path at that time <laughs> didn't didn't see to. the best side of me. So you know, I'm like in the middle of a call. Uh, sorting through all these, you know, messages on my, like business messages on my phone and in the middle of the day and a call came in from Catherine, you know, which <laughs> any other time is great, but like she's in London. So she, she's like relaxed after work, having dinner. And I'm like right smack dab in the middle of my day. And yeah, it was just, I'm just being annoying. <laughs> <laughs> No. Yeah. Well, anyways, I'm, here we are. I'm uh, now. You know, um, I'm uh, starting this new podcast, and I wanted to do a couple of 
of test runs. And I thought, what better time to catch up with my kid sister than on a test run for the podcast? So here well, we are. Here we now are. We've got all yeah. the time in the world. Exactly. Get well, two birds I'll stoned at once. I'll take it. <laughs> yeah. Definitely. So there's a preamble. So what's going on? How are you? I'm good. Um, it's been a strange year for me. Um, I was basically, I was put on furlough, which is the British way of saying um, employment insurance. Furlough? Yeah. That furlough, furlough is a British way of saying, <laughs> saying furlough? Yeah. Um, yeah. So I, Dan gave you a bit of a background. I, I left Walkerton um, at 18, did the whole um, typical sort of conventional way of going through university for four years. And then after university, I moved to Toronto, um, where I got a typical office job working in a law firm, being, um, an executive assistant. And after that, I started working at a gold mining company, working in HR. And I got to a point, I think, I think I can remember the exact day that I was like, fuck this. Um, I was walking through a wind tunnel in Toronto and the wind tunnels are the, you know, the, the high buildings that where the wind comes through and just gusts through and, and you can feel it right into your bones. It's just, it's horrible. Um, mid middle of winter. I think this was January. And I was like, I'm going to move to Australia because this sucks. Um, <laughs> and Dan had lived there for a bit. So he talked it up a lot. Um, he lived Our whole family, we're all vagabonds. We've all yeah. we've all given yeah. up on Canada and cold well, climates, more specifically. Mostly. I do still love Canada. Um, just the winters are a bit extreme. Um, so yeah, we I moved to Australia for three years. Lived in Sydney with my now fiance um, Jack, and we actually decided. Um, fairly early on into Sydney that we wanted to take like a two-year sabbatical to travel. Um, a lot of my inspiration actually, as you know, came from you, Dan, um, mostly because you, you did it and I sort of saw from example um, the benefits you got from it. And I just sort of, sort of established the fact that I more, I was more, um, a priority for me was more to feel like I was living an inspired and interesting life rather than feeling like I was like taking the boxes of success that a lot of um, my friends were motivated by at that age. You got your whole life to do that, you know? You, yeah. And I read life, that book by that Tim Ferriss um, for our work week, which you recommended. And I just remember thinking, this guy knows what's up. It's not the whole, you know, live your life post-retirement. Like we live our life now. And, and yeah, like it's one of the best things I ever did. And Jack would say the same thing. We traveled, we went to 16 countries over two years. We went, did four weeks per country. So we actually got a feel for the culture and like properly traveled and experienced it. And all along the way I was, I was blogging and, and taking notes and, and updating my audience with, um, stories of what we're experiencing and travel tips and reflections and what it's like to leave everything behind and only have a backpack. And that's, you know, trying to budget. I mean, we spent about 
80,000 Canadian over 18 months. So we were definitely being mindful of our spending and that was a huge lesson in itself. And, um, and then after that, yeah, we, we ran out of money naturally and we then decided where can we both live, um, being from Australian Canada, where we can make some money, but still travel. So London was, the appealing option because we were Commonwealth. And if you're under 30 and part of the Commonwealth, you can get a two-year working visa and work anywhere without any restrictions. So we thought that sounds like a good idea. We applied from Greece, spent six weeks in Greece, learned how to sail there all while we were waiting on our visa to be approved. Um, our visa was approved within yeah a few weeks and we moved to London where we've been now for three years and both have a uh, four-year visa at the moment. So we have you four have, more sorry, years. You have, sorry, how many year visa? Four years. Four years. So we've been here for three, um, and we were on, on the Commonwealth visa for two years. Then we got onto the um, sponsorship visa, which is five, and we're already finished one of those years. So we have four more on our visa if we want to stay and stick it out. What are you thinking? Well, um, I go back and forth. I think anyone who has been a bit of an expat, and I'm sure you can relate to this yourself, but when you go home and you see your friends and family, and especially um, our sister Megan had has had um, a little boy and a little girl, Hugh and Isla, and seeing them just is it's 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 a different kind of joy that you get and it feels kind of sad to miss them growing up but at the same time um at the same time my kind of spirit longs for being somewhere that's kind of exciting and adventurous and that's why I'm torn because while the people I love are in Canada um and probably the people that fill my soul and nourish my soul from a relationship perspective, um, the, the, the kind of like eager, ambitious and, and adventurous sort of, um, wanderer is curious wanderer, curious wanderer. Exactly. (laughs) I'm more inclined to, to stay in London and same with Jack one partially because just the lifestyle here, you get five weeks, paid leave. Um, you get paid well, we're getting paid in pounds. So that helps. Um, and we both found good jobs where I'm working for a private equity firm, um, a family office that's high net worth. So I'm treated very fairly. And, uh, Jack's Jack's moved up the ladder in construction management, and he's had two of the biggest jobs of his whole career, um, building, um, doing the fit outs for, for commercial buildings, one being Goldman Sachs as of lately. So the next one coming, um, I believe is the Apple building. So he's smashing it at the moment. Um, so there's really no reason for us to go. (laughs) Smashing it. That's a, that's an interesting expression. I'm curious to know, does that come from Australia or England? Uh, or is it just my weird saying? I don't know. <laughs> I think Killing crushing it. it is more of a North Killing American it. thing. Killing it. Yeah. Yeah. 
He's killing I mean, it. smashing it works. I like that. It's it's very uh, it's visceral. It's I, actually you know, that's it's very, what Jack says after he goes to his CrossFit like workouts. It. Yeah, smashing it like implies more of like a picking something up and putting it down. throwing it down aggressively. <laughs> so yeah, crushing yeah. it is more like stepping on it, you know. Or, okay, but smashing it that, <laughs> that's just next level. Oh, okay. Well, whatever. Crushing it then. He's crushing it. Um, so there's, yeah, there's really no reason for us to leave at this point. And I don't think we're going to for, you know, at least a couple more years and then, and then reevaluate. Hmm. Yeah. Good stuff. Well, you know, if I may comment on that, you're how old? 32 right now? Mm-hmm. 31? 32. Just turned 32 this year? Yeah. Right. Um, yeah, I mean, all of those things you talked about, the things that that you value, you know, the family life and the and the stability in the family and the kind of the I guess settling down aspect of life, you know, that will be there for a long time. But mm-hmm. what you've got now are the last few years where you and Jack can basically still be expats and nomads and and kind of travel around and do that like um speaking from what i've experienced i mean i love that life i love that lifestyle of being just like self-contained go anywhere anytime Mm. uh go out and meet people and you know take flights and you know all that fun stuff yeah that is awesome and was awesome (laughs) but like now i'm you know i'm going on 39 this month and it's like 39 i yes wow just uh, one year left so like my last (laughs) year you know i'm gonna try to squeeze a little bit more out of that but even right now i still have like sometimes on a few of the last trips I've gone on, I've like had the interest in doing all that. Like in theory, it's, it sounds amazing and adventurous and all that. But then when I get on the road and I get rolling and it's like, uh, you, you encounter all of the inconveniences and the uncertainty and the hiccups and the, um, you know, from time to time, a poor customer service experience or, just you have high expectations from one hotel and you get there and it's 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 not living up to your expectations or mm-hmm. you know it always sounds better than what it is um and i f- i find myself wanting to just naturally go back to the more stable lifestyle mm-hmm. that i've created here in yeah. costa rica you know with I've got a wonderful girlfriend here. You know, we've got our business, a place to live. I spend most of my time, you know, as a homebody. Like, and that I think is just a natural progression that takes place for the majority, even of us adventurous expats. Mm. It's a natural progression that takes place over time. And you're kind of getting, in my opinion, uh, you're getting to the end of, of that desire to even do that. So, you know, maybe if you guys live out your visa at that point, you know, maybe, you know, you guys just got 
engaged, then congratulations. Thank you. Um, but you know, maybe in another four years, maybe you won't even want to stay there for four years doing that. Like maybe, you know, at that point, all of the kind of adventurous, curious wanderer has been, has been exercised. Yeah. And, you know, so I'm just saying like, if you still have those urges, you might as well do it now, you know, because the other stuff that's, that's what you spend the next 40 years doing kids, family, family functions, watching kids grow up, doing school, like, you know, doing all that stuff you got and the career thing that you mentioned, you know, where you're climbing the success ladder and everything, Mm. you know, start doing that when you're 40. Yeah. You're not going to miss anything in the career world, but you know, you start doing that when you're 25 or or 30 um, or 20, you know, then what you miss are those precious years that you never get back that are very much finite. Right. And that's where you kind of get this experience that you basically can only get when you're young. Yeah. Well, your travel experience is the part of the reason why you have built a center. Like when you were going through New Mexico, was it that you first tried ayahuasca, right? Yeah. Um, And that was kind of what inspired you to start all of this. No. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Absolutely. You know, I, I would not be able to run this business Soltara Healing Center. Uh, I would not have been able to, to build it up uh, over the past, you know, 10 years or so. If I hadn't gone out and had all those hard knocks abroad and, and spent all that time getting to know like every layer of the culture from, you know, grimy, like slum streets to uh, five-star hotels and everything in between in South America. Mm. And I did that as an adventurer, kind of putting myself at risk and just out of interest sake, because I craved that adventure. But at the same time, it gave me the, the kind of real life uh, experience that predicated what I do here. So, you know, whereas like now, if I think about doing that all over again right now, I don't think I could with who I am right now, you know, I don't think I'd want to go do all that over again. It would just seem like a huge hassle, a lot of inconvenience, (laughs) but, you know, but then like it was this big adventure and, and I was just enjoying pushing myself to different experiential limits um, abroad, you know? So all I'm saying, my point is you never know where that's going to lead. Right. And, and the key takeaway is follow your heart and do what you want when you want to do it. Yeah. Especially when you're young, because when you're young, like that is, that's the time when you are finding your life path. Yeah. And you find your life path by trying a whole bunch of things, getting knocked around a little bit. Yeah. uh, Hopefully not as much as as I I did. I think the risk too, and and that's, this is what I've observed with some of my friends or not even friends, but acquaintances. Um, If you, if you don't take risks early in life and you become really comfortable in like a secure path and the predictability of a path, 
you're less likely to embrace it later on in life. And I just have seen people stay in the same situation because they, they fear leaving that security. And that was one thing that you taught me never to listen to that voice in your head saying, you should, you should fear the unknown. Like, what if, like when Jack and I went to, went on our two year sabbatical, it was, what if we can't get good jobs after this? What if we lose all our money? What if we're homeless? What if nobody wants to hire us after taking so much time off work? There were so many things that we could have latched on to, to not do that. And we didn't listen to that because we knew it's exactly what we wanted to do. And we were the most alive when we were on the road. You know, we went, we went, um, backpacking through Southeast Asia. We took motorbikes across from the South of Vietnam to the North of Vietnam. We, we hiked to Annapurna base camp in the Himalayas. Um, you know, we traveled Eastern Europe and we took a van across the U S with a mattress in the back, like parking and, and using the washroom at Walmart parking lots, 24 hour, um, parking lots. And these are the sort of things that have shaped who we are and also have given us all these experiences that have molded us. And if I didn't have those, I just feel like everything would be so dull. And those experiences that people miss from staying in secure environments and secure jobs and, and, and just, yeah, like I said, the predictability of life, they end up wishing that they had done that. Yeah. And they end up wishing that when they're 50 years old or 60 yeah. years old and once divorced with, you know, with three kids in <laughs> high school, that three ungrateful <laughs> bastards in high school that they're supporting and, you know, and with absolutely no chance to do it at that point. Yeah. You know, and the, and the um, funny thing is about, about that is all those fears that people had for us, or even just the things that they might think about themselves that prevent them from taking those kind of risks, like, like leaving everything behind and packing your bags and just saying, let's see how this goes. Um, you know, we got a job. We, we came to London broke. Yeah. It took a little bit of time. took four, I think four or five weeks for us to find a job. We had to, you know, do an an exchange of accommodation for some maintenance around a house when we arrived because we were broke. And it was a struggle, but it took us, you know, it took us, we accumulated like $20,000 in debt, something like that, which isn't that bad after having such a long two year adventure. But the point being, we got jobs and we got good jobs and we got sponsored and we're still here and all. And now I'm still, now I'm making the same salary as a lot of my friends, maybe even more than some of my friends who you know, stayed on that path of security. And so I I guess it's just proof in the pudding that you can still take risks and still do these things that your heart is like yearning for and still end up on top if you really believe in yourself. And if you're ambitious and driven, that's all it takes. Absolutely. And there's a lot to be said about exponential principle here. Um, which is like, which I'll touch on in a second, but what you were 
commenting on regarding finding a job and employment and and your concerns and everybody else's concerns about mm. well if you go on this trip you know you might set your career back or whatever as an employer and you know of of an international business and uh sorry as an international business we you know we employ people from all over the world uh here at Soltara and you know the things that that I value actually one of those things is is the you know the ability to organize and execute the type of experience that you organize and executed mm. you know it wasn't you weren't just bumming around and not working yeah. for two years yeah. there's a difference between slacking off for two years yeah and what you guys did which was save up yeah you sp you worked for years you worked your asses off you cut expenses yeah. which shows yeah. diligence and self-restraint and discipline right and you saved up a bunch of money before going out now how many people can even do that is yeah a very small percentage of the general public who can actually work for a couple years and save up eighty thousand mm. dollars very very uncommon and then the style of travel that you did you know being able to have a dream is a very important uh talent you know to have yeah. a dream to have imagination and to hold on to that for two years while you're going through that suffering phase of saving your money, not yeah. going out on the weekends when you want to, Watching you guys Netflix. are in your twenties, yeah, right? I mean, you're yeah. in your twenties, your friends are going out partying, probably yeah. taking drugs, probably drinking a lot, taking Molly, <laughs> going to, um, whatever club, the government, you know, and you guys were, uh, you guys were, were saving up and saying no to those things mm. in order to bank the money to live out your dream. Now, if you can do that for any purpose, for any dream you have, that's such a huge and uncommon talent. And then when you go out and you actually execute that travel, you showed restraint the whole time. I mean, I traveled with you on a couple of different occasions. You guys weren't throwing cash around, you know, <laughs> like, like you lived fine. You found nice places to stay. You went out yeah. for dinner, you know, you enjoyed yourselves, yeah. but you're always, you know, conscious we of how much money you yeah right yeah. exactly well yeah. you you understood that you know you had a dream you had a plan you had a monthly mm. budget you needed to stick to that budget i mean yeah. what's different between that and running a business yeah right and and every day you're there making decisions about what to do and you always went for the cultural experience the mm. you know the hike or the, yeah. you know, going to experience some element of the culture, yeah. learn a new skill, go diving yeah. Um, yeah. And, and, and expand your repertoire of experience, which shows that you have grit and character and that not only, you know, does that build character, but it, it, that whole four year endeavor in total between saving and traveling proves an incredible amount of, of discipline and, and integrity and motivation and self self motivation, self driven capacity, because nobody was there holding your hand doing it except mm. the two of you. Yeah. Right. So, that's true. so now if I'm an employer and I see somebody come to me who just finished, you know, 
you come to me, you're, you know, you, as you said, you, you were out of cash, you were in debt, you were looking for a new job, you're in a new place. Um, in some cases that can look bad, you know, if you have a two year break on your resume, mm. but, um, but the fact that, you know, you're able to describe that whole endeavor is like, to me, that just shows me that like, whoa, okay, this person has a lot of really valuable, even if maybe you don't have a lot of experience with the particular technical skills I might need you for in that particular mm. role. That shows me that you have a lot of the soft skills and personality traits that one, make a good employee uh, and two, show a lot of promise for uh, for future entrepreneurship, right? Taking on spearheading projects, be, mm. coming up with creative ideas yeah, yeah, and, sure. and uh, leading a team of people. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you. <laughs> so not for, everybody for all you praises kids out there things. who are yeah yeah for all you kids out there who are listening to your parents uh tell you <laughs> you know not to not to follow your heart because you might not get a job yeah you know? exactly i mean that's that's it. not to say that it's it's not okay it's it's okay to not want to do that as well yeah absolutely like, absolutely not everybody yeah. wants to do that and that's totally fine um and some people love being at home some people love the safe life. Like some people thrive off that and there's nothing wrong with that. I just knew that for me, um, it just, it just didn't feel right. Something didn't sit right about staying in Toronto and, and doing the, um, the secure path. I wanted something that challenged me and I wanted to leave everything I knew behind and it basically shaped who I am now. And not only that, but a lot of lessons a lot of lessons on the road, like, like you said, not just cultural experiences and trying different foods and meeting different people, but like you're, you're, you're really finding out who you are. And I know that sounds really cliche and everybody says, you know, you're someone's out finding who they are kind of in a condescending way. But the truth is, is you, you are, doing things that help you remove, remove the barriers that keep you from seeing who you are. It's, it's like a chance to remove any kind of programming or any kind of, you know, belief systems that you have about yourself that you might've not, not have even chosen for yourself, more just something that you like assumed over, um, you know, social expectation or, or, or roles in your peer groups and these sort of things. Like, you actually get to question that and you get to explore that. And there's no one that has any expectation of what you are. Instead, you, you yourself are deciding who you are and what you are. And who you I are think, is who you show up as every day. Yeah. And, and you see what, what, who you're like without any kind of influence from anyone else. And what, that's why that sort of cliche term of going to find yourself is so relevant and true because that really is what you're doing when you're living an expat nomadic life. Um, you just get to absolutely. See. Yeah. Well, if you're, if you, if you grow up in this kind of the same cultural circumstances perpetually, like, yeah. like you, you never actively change that it's, it's your, your self uh, conception, your self concept, your self image, who you, who you view yourself 
to be is not independent from your surroundings. It's, it's very much enmeshed with your surroundings, mm -hmm. right? Who you are uh, in part is the relationships that you have, the history that you've had, the language that you use, um, the, um, the habits and, and patterns that, that uh, you act on every single day. And in, an, in a way, you're not independent from your environment. You are, you are like a part of your environment. Mm. And then when you go on a trip like what you did and, and you know, there's a difference between going on a holiday and yeah. going and traveling, right? Yeah. When you go on a holiday, you don't really break out of your own bubble. You don't really break out of your, your kind of cultural uh, uh, image, mm. especially if you travel with people who carry that with you. Yeah. But when you go traveling you now become an independent vessel moving through uncertainty yeah you are moving through uncertain unknown yeah. uh, territory. unfamiliar yeah. uh, territory yeah and now that vessel that you have become is unbound by any cultural baggage that you're carrying mm. everything is is now only within you You've yeah. separated yourself from, from all of those links. And through that process of navigating unfamiliar territory, just as that kind of singular vessel, then one, you lose a lot of the cultural baggage that, that you yeah. acquire over time. But two, you gain different things as well. You can, you can now pick and choose aspects of your personality that are gained through personal experience in different scenarios yeah right definitely. and then it you become much more self-contained self-aware mm. um and self-awareness is is such an important quality for you know for having that that success along yeah. life's path right? To really oh, know who sure. you are and, and be confident in that. Yeah. And if you can do that through testing yourself on the road in different landscapes, there's just no better way to do it except for maybe plant medicines. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I definitely feel like that has helped me, especially in times of suffering. Like if I feel like I'm suffering from any kind of, um, any kind of, hardships that are going on, whether it be things in the family or things with Jack or, or just like being lonely as an expat just, or, or just being let down or disappointed or taking criticism. Um, anything that I feel like there's any kind of suffering, um, coming up inside of me. Um, I feel like traveling has helped me to be able to react and not, not react, but more respond to that suffering. And in turn, through being able to sort of understand a bigger picture, which has been helpful for it through things, not only just travel, but I also did a 10 day Vipassana, which is 10 day silent meditation in Thailand. And I did ayahuasca in Peru with you. Um, and a few different things that you could, like you could name as, is spiritual. Um, that has helped me be able to move through some of these things after the travel. And it has, it has stayed with me. It wasn't just temporary while I was on the road. It has stayed with me into my, you know, 
professional year, professional years in London. And, and often I hear people say like to me that you have such a calm nature about you and you, you seem to not, um, let things get to you. That's often what I hear, uh, feedback. Yeah. People, people say that a lot about me too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You need some of my Zen bro. Just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I think, I think basically, um, a lot of that came from the lessons I learned on the road. And I think that in itself is invaluable because it's helping me move through the world now in my adult life. So you mentioned uh, doing ayahuasca with me. Why don't yeah. you, uh, why don't we dig into that? And um, my, my, uh, my audience here obviously has at least some interest in ayahuasca and plant medicines. So mm-hmm. We go back a ways here. Um, this was in 2010 or 11, right? 2011. 2011, yeah. 2011. So in August of 2010, I had my first ayahuasca ceremony. And um, that was like an entry into a new world for me. It was an extremely powerful ceremony and uh, it really opened up this kind of new life for me. And um, I got very enthusiastic about it. So I started moving more in that direction, right? And um, continued on that path my second round of of medicine was uh was the next year in 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 2011 i went to uh to go work at a center in peru uh this some people might remember the center called chimbre and uh it was an interesting place i won't get into the details just yet but uh but because of my enthusiastic promotion of ayahuasca um I just thought everybody in the world needed to do it at that time. You know, I was yeah. very enthusiastic about it. And, uh, and so I convinced my baby sister, Catherine to come meet me in Peru at the center where I was working. And you at that time must've been 21. like early twenties, yeah. 21, 22. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I was not a ayahuasca professional at that time. I was just, uh, you know, getting my feet wet. So, maybe not quite as responsible with things as what we are here at Soltara. But um, so Catherine comes with a friend, do a ceremony. And how did it go? (laughs) Funnily enough, um, I've been traveling around the world and people always still just want to know two things when I tell them my travel stories. And one is, what was ayahuasca like? And the other is what was doing a 10 day silent Vipassana like. So it's pretty funny because that's what a lot of people are curious about um, in general. But it was, um, well, firstly, I would say I was ill-prepared for it. Not um, my brother's doing, my own doing. Um, I, I hadn't done any research on the medicine. 
So I knew that Dan had a life-changing experience and I watched some sort of trailer about um, ayahuasca that, you know, it, it changes your life. And that was enough to inspire me to be like, oh, I guess I'll go down to the jungle and have a cup, cup of it and see what happens. Um, I also didn't, you know, follow any of the fasting and, um, you know, cutting out alcohol and toxins before you do it. And I really just didn't know what was coming for me. So I didn't have the tools to move through some of the scary parts of doing ayahuasca, which is, you know, feeling kind of like out of your, out of control and um, strong hallucinations and, you know, vomiting and, and things like that. So that doesn't sound very pleasant, but um, the experience itself, I, I did do the ceremony with the shaman drank um, actually a quite large portion of ayahuasca. I think it was a whole coffee mug full. Um, so just just to uh, add some context there, this, uh, this shaman, and he referred to himself as a shaman at this place, he was not cautious at all about dosing. There was no like, oh, this person needs this much, this person needs that much. It was everybody gets a coffee cup full of ayahuasca and the scenario that that people drank in was going into a tambo alone so a little wooden hut just screen no bathroom Mm. no bed no toilet just like a little hut in the jungle by yourself and gulping down this massive cup full of ayahuasca and as a novice Catherine had a pretty strong experience. Yeah. Um, So I was, um, firstly, I just drank it and I had my little camera at the time and Canon camera. And I was just like, oh, well, I just drank a cup of ayahuasca. I guess I'll see what happens. Um, No, I didn't go in with any intentions or anything like that. I just sort of went in and, and you would think maybe having no fear and no expectations could be a good thing. And, and maybe it is in some, some aspects, but in terms of like moving through the process of ayahuasca, um, it would have been helpful to have a better understanding on it. So that's definitely what I will do the next time. Um, but yeah, I first started seeing some visuals on the floorboards and the jungle started becoming 3d and that led into some really potent, strong hallucinations, um, Mostly it was visuals of my ex-boyfriend, um, which sounds really silly at the time because I was in my early 20s. But um, I had a breakup with my university boyfriend and it sort of, you know, affected my confidence. And I thought about it all the time. And even though it wasn't anything that was overly serious, I think we were only together a year it seemed to impact my self-esteem and well-being and just like how I existed in the world at the time. So I essentially started seeing my, my ex from university, um, become like a demon (laughs) and moving in and out of kind of like a poisonous skull face. And he had fangs and he was like frowning at me with like hatred. Um, and it scared the shit out of me, basically. Um, I was very, very concerned for, um, one, feeling very, very 
high and out of my body and to uh, seeing these very scary visuals. Not and this was your first psychedelic experience, correct? Yeah, exactly. I hadn't done uh, mushrooms unless you or consider... acid or anything like that at the time, which I've done now. But um, you had you had experienced uh, MDMA before then, or yeah, no? uh, yeah, I have. But and I kind but of nothing thought, hallucinogenic. No, no. Yeah. And I kind of thought, oh, I've tried, I've tried MDMA. Like I'm fine, and I was fine, you know. But that was a very naive approach because they're just two completely different things. Um, and my visuals were very, very strong. Like I'm, I'm talking like as if, as if, you know, the way I'm seeing you right now on the screen, that's how I was seeing the, the visuals of faces in my, in my hallucinations. And um, beyond that, it was also a lot of colors and a lot of, you know, the, that those eyes that stare at you. Um, but the main thing that was scary was, was this demon, um, my boyfriend who was like a demon and clearly not good for me. Um, but <laughs> on top of that, I kind of felt, um, concerned with how shaken up and high I was, which, you know, I was, you know, sort of lost. Can I be quite honest or? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, uh, just to add a little more context before yeah. you get lost. So this this shaman, who's now in jail, by the way, for malpractice, um, he used to mix toei with his ayahuasca brew. Um, so toei is a mice, uh, master plant that is commonly used in, in the curanderismo in Peru and, and, and the Amazon. But it is a dark plant it's a dark energy and it, it it can go it can make the hallucinations seem really kind of otherworldly and demonic and um and much much stronger and that's exactly why this person was putting it in the brew to make the ayahuasca very very strong in in a visual way like the visions were super intense. Mm. Some of the most powerful visions I've ever had were with that brew. Mm. Um, but they're a little different. They're darker. They're a little bit more crazy and, yeah. and uh, you know, all consuming. So just yeah. to give some context there. Yeah. And, and funnily enough, I've, I've rarely hear that this is the experience of anyone else who's tried ayahuasca. And if they do have a dark experience, it seems to be not quite as heavy as mine was. Um, but the anyways i i moved through it and it lasted i think how long were we down there dan like six or seven hours maybe yeah something like yeah. that. yeah yeah we, um, we started the ceremonies at about 5 30 p.m and the shaman would do about a 30 minute ceremony and sing and call the spirits and yeah that was it and then give you a cup of ayahuasca and we had to walk down to the jungle yeah down, uh, really down a bunch steep. of stairs yeah with the uh, ayahuasca in our hand and then get to our little tambo and then drink it mm. and yeah. yeah i mean i don't recall what time we got up but it was definitely it was a long late yeah it was yeah. a long journey um and dan actually didn't drink ayahuasca that night so dan luckily for me was kind of outside um my what are they called the things you use tambos the tambos and yeah. he was sort of 
uh, guiding me through it and talking me through it and helping me like understand that it was normal to sort of feel the things that I was going through, which, which is amazing. And, um, like it, it, it was so helpful that he was there because I would have probably been quite scared otherwise more scared. Than I, I had San Pedro that night. I didn't drink yeah. ayahuasca. I had a cup yeah. of San Pedro. Yeah. Which isn't as intense. Um, but coming out of it, I remember, I remember seeing sort of like darkness and, and, and these visuals and there, I think there was some zombie like, um, visuals at some, one point, but it was going in and out, um, of seeing my sister, Emily, uh, her face, um, in the sunlight, smiling at me, um, and, and looking at me with a lot of love. So we were, I was going, I was going in and out of seeing this sort of like darkness and feeling like, unlike, like disliked and hated to, um, seeing visuals of Emily where like, I knew there was so much love there. And she, I really feel in those visuals anyways, her, her energy and, and, um, love pulled me out of those kind of dark, dark visuals I was seeing. And then in the end, um, it sort of got kind of fun at the end of it because you're rolling out of being in in the middle of the high and then it sort of got a bit fun and, and Dan and Brooke, my friend who did it with me, one of my best friends, she came down with me. Um, she was also coming out of it. So we were sort of getting on a better, in a better place at that point. And then it wasn't actually till a couple of days after that I started really feeling and noticing the benefits, um, and realizing that actually, while it was quite traumatic and felt a bit like an exorcism at the time, um, I, I moved through stuff that was in my subconscious that I didn't even know was there and I left it behind and I'm, I, and yeah, I shed, I shed some, some subconscious memories and, 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 and trauma that, that affected my day-to-day life that I didn't even know was. So in the end, I felt like I came out winning because not only did I feel like I was rid of it, but I now felt like this clarity of, of what I wanted and who I was and that that was just those thoughts and the energy I was putting into that was no longer serving me. And I genuinely, genuinely knew that instead of just telling myself that I knew it. And that was really powerful at the time, really powerful. I know I was only 20, 21 or 22, but at the time it was very important for me. And, um, I haven't done it since. But it was one of the most important things I've ever done, including um, that with along with the 10 days of silence. You know, that is really unfortunate, though. The um, the field of of ayahuasca healing back then was much, much different than Mm. what it is now. Mm. Much, much different. There was no talk of integration or preparation. Um, You know, there was diet. But, uh, but yeah, I I think, um, you know, setting the expectations and and setting the stage for a rough experience like what you had physically and, and, and mentally challenged, you were almost not, uh, you're almost not, uh, prepared for it. Um, Mm. so 
perhaps, you know, when you come back, because you're, you're coming back to Soltara mm-hmm. in, uh, in uh, December. December, right? Yeah. Hopefully. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Provide everything goes well. Mm-hmm. Um, we're opening in a few weeks, so um, we're definitely looking forward to having you. But I'm really going to be interested to, uh, to see how you can compare and contrast the difference between these two experiences. One that was kind of super like Wild West and traumatic. Yeah. For you with no real container, you yeah. know, that like there was just no real process behind it. Um, not to mention it was done in a facility that was just very hands off and very you fight your own way through it. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, coming to Soltara where, you know, we we have learned from all those mistakes of of practitioners over the past 10 years as the field has really blown up. And we've designed a program that, you know, the goal is to be uh, leading, leading practitioners in, in every area. So, mm. you know, we've got this whole kind of preparation and, and integration program that we, that we uh, engage people in um, when they come. And then if the actual process, the ceremonial process is, uh, is much more, uh, hands-on let's say Mm. uh you know we have very well contained space uh the container's safe it feels safe and we have a high facilitator to uh to guest ratio so you know you're gonna definitely feel a lot different yeah and you don't mix it with Uh, that other ingredient we don't mix it with toray it's just pure uh pure uh ayahuasca vine, bee and uh, shakruna leaves, sucotria yeah. uh, And you monitor the dosages, which is not what this place did. Absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, we get people ready and it's more of a, it's, it's just a gentler, uh, gentler entry point yeah. um, to the, to the week, you know, it's just not just dropping you in the deep end and saying, learn how to swim or die, Yeah, you know? So it'll no, be I'm- interesting to, uh, see how you and Jack respond. And Jack, your fiance, has never experienced no, the medicine. No, yeah, he's he's looking forward to it. Definitely, I think he's a little nervous naturally because um, he knows of my experience, which um, I think kind of is is kind of scary to a lot of people who hear it. But in general, um, I would do it again because I still even though it, you know, it took me through some, uh, hardships in the process, I still got the rewards. Right. You know, so. Cool. And, uh, you guys just got engaged. Mm-hmm. So yeah. you're now coming to drink ayahuasca together as newly engaged partners. So yeah. hopefully, um, you don't get any more visions of Jack turning into a vampire and trying to kill you. <laughs> yeah, God, that, that would be, would be that would be less than ideal. I uh, <laughs> from Jack's perspective. Hopefully, he doesn't get those of me either. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Woman vampire. I'm sure it'll be fine. I'm sure it'll be fine. We're really looking forward to having you. I am. Um, you're actually the first person from my family. You're the only person from our family who has ever actually drank medicine yeah. with me. Um, even my dad, who's been working on with me on this project for three years, 
He still hasn't made it in for a ceremony. Yeah. So I don't know if he actually needs it, though, to be honest. He's he's doing the medicine work by helping to bring this place to life and helping mm. to keep it afloat. So. Wow. Yeah, he'll he'll decide if he wants to, if he feels yeah. called to it. Yeah. Yeah. I've definitely changed my perspective on trying to convince people uh, to yeah. do medicine. I never do that anymore. I mean, yeah. if it calls you, absolutely. Yeah. I think it's highly beneficial, but I'm not going to try to, you know, I used to just try to convince everybody yeah. to do it because I just believed in it so much. But, you know, and I think that's another uh, cautionary tale for people who just get into the work because. The more you go out and 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 tell the whole world they need to drink ayahuasca and you just talk yeah. about your crazy visions to people who don't want to hear it, you know, the more you actually alienate yourself and turn people off. Absolutely. So, Couldn't agree more. Um yeah. So so why don't uh why don't we leave it there and um we can uh we can link up again here in the studio with both you and Jack when you guys are here at Soltara. We'll get the mics hooked up and We'll have an do a follow-up. Uh, do the follow-up, the trip mm -hmm. report. We'll do the trip yeah. report. Yeah, the comparing of, uh, you know, a, ayahuasca 10 years later. Yeah, exactly. It sounds good. Exactly. And so was that enough catch-up for you, Catherine? Like that was, that like was a good catch-up. Although, you know, I think uh, people will want to know because that's what everyone asks me when I tell them you have an ayahuasca retreat. How many times have you done ayahuasca yourself and do you still do ayahuasca fairly often? Well, I stopped counting probably after about 25 ceremonies. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I definitely have, have probably done a couple hundred uh, ceremonies over the years. I don't actually do much ayahuasca anymore. Mm -hmm. um, from time to time, I will a few times a year. But, you know, the actual, the real benefit that I got from ayahuasca was like helping me find my path and helping me become more self-aware and self, excuse me, self-confident and, yeah. um, and uh, you know, to, to really feel confident that the mental challenges I went through in a lot of those really hard ceremonies are like practice runs for life. Mm. So it gave me a lot more confidence to take on projects that I knew might be really difficult and, and would have to like keep my mind in the game for, you know, extended periods of time. Yeah. But right now I just, I really, I feel really comfortable with where I'm at. Like mm -hmm. I'm on the path, I'm doing good work. Uh, you know, I'm taking on as much as I possibly can handle, but I'm not doing it in an unhealthy way. Uh, you know, I've, I've managed to uh, find the formula to keep my, habits and consumption uh downfalls in check mm -hmm. and you know just generally feel pretty good in life so so why why would i drink ayahuasca regularly unless i was looking yeah. to you know fix something yeah I've, it's kind of like feel, a jump start in life and you got that well, I mean, the difference between a, a treatment and a cure is that you have to keep taking the treatment, right? Yeah. And um, I think that it's a good thing that ayahuasca has had permanent mm. 
developmental effects on me so that I don't need to keep it's not like if I don't drink it for six months, I just go totally backward. Yeah. You yeah. know, like I'm, I've made progress. That progress is, is locked in. Yeah. And I feel very much independent and, and capable of executing on the things that I feel are the right moves for me to, to execute on. So, Definitely. um, so yeah, I mean, I'm not, I'm not, uh, drinking every weekend. I'm, uh, I'm drinking as needed or as, as I want to, or sometimes when we get, you know, we work with different types of healer, a different uh, rotation, we work on a rotation of healers. So we have different pairs of maestros and and maestros come in and, uh, you know, some, some of them, uh, I really enjoy drinking with and, you know, they come in and, and I'm a musician and some of them just have this incredible musical talent. Yeah. Right. I'm a wannabe musician. Let me correct. No, myself. you're a musician um, for sure. But uh, but I do appreciate good musical talent. And and some of the healers who work with us are just absolutely incredible in the ceremony. It's like going to a rock concert. Cool. So, um, you know, and they stick with you the whole ceremony. Yeah. Uh, the whole ceremony. That's awesome. So, yeah, I don't uh, drink a ton, but still a few times a year. Yeah. I mean, I'd have to say you got to be one of the most resilient people I've ever known in terms of just like persevering when things get tough. Like, honestly, you are. It's pretty impressive. Well, you know, my philosophy is you're not allowed to quit until you win or until you're dead. So, you know, I haven't died (laughs) yet. You're proving that. (laughs) Yeah, you're proving that. Um, Yeah, I guess in, in touching on that, I do remember when you were making drawings in Peru when we did ayahuasca together um, about, you know, your first center, which you built in Peru. But now that you've built one in Peru, had that for five years, sold it, and now you've built your dream retreat in Costa Rica. Like, I just think it's so impressive that you made your dreams come to fruition and knowing you for, you know, well, knowing you all my life, obviously, um, you just, you've, you've developed a lifestyle around what you want in life. Like you love nature, you love the ocean, you love the jungle, you love business, you love having, you know, a bit of nightlife and, and atmosphere. So you have an apartment in San Jose and you love animals and you have dogs and cats and all of these interesting birds and wildlife at your doorstep. And I see you doing these hikes and you have a music room. You're a musician. You love you love playing the guitar with your your best you have your bestie, Jesse, from childhood there with you. Um, you know, you, you love right eating well, you. sitting right beside you. You love eating well, you love going to the gym, you've built a gym. Like for me, and for a lot of people, I'm sure listening, it's just so impressive. And you are just such a good example of someone who really has made their dreams come true and you've showed everyone that it's possible. And I just think that's really inspiring. Thanks, Kath. I appreciate that. Um, I, I really do. And, uh, and, you know, I really get inspired and excited when I think about the possibilities that we all could have if we just put in the vision, put in the execution, make the plan, you know, and, and rock it out and not give up till you, you win or you die, you know, that is available to anybody. And so, 
this whole kind of new project that I'm developing now is like, I really want to be able to share that with people. I really want to see a lot of other people bring their dreams to life and, and, and see what kind of crazy cool things can be created yeah. by, uh, motivated and, and, uh, pers- uh, motivated and persistent people. That's great. With imaginations. Yeah, but absolutely. So thank you very much for joining me. I appreciate it. Well, thanks for the invitation. I'm glad we got to catch up. Absolutely. Say hello to Mr. Uh, Jack Morewood for me. I will do. Okay. Love you, sis. Good to see you. Love you, bro. Ciao. Bye. The Daniel Cleland Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today for the Daniel Cleland Podcast. We truly enjoy you sharing your time with us. If you enjoyed the episode as much as we enjoyed sharing it with you, please like the episode, review the podcast, subscribe. If you're not already subscribed, these likes and reviews and subscriptions are the lifeblood of our show. So free for you, super important for us. Like, subscribe, and review. Thank you so much. Of course, this podcast would not be possible without the continued amazing sponsorship of Soltara Healing Center in Costa Rica. If you feel called to work with plant medicines, ayahuasca, shamanismo, curanderismo from Peru, from the Peruvian Amazons to Costa Rica, check out Soltara Healing Center at soltara.co or conveniently 1-800-397-1730 or look us up on social media at Soltara Healing Center. All kinds of great content, nonstop, coming out, down the pike, every day, just for you. Thanks again so much for joining I appreciate it beyond words, and I look forward to doing many more of these episodes for you and connecting. If you want to reach out to me, there's a contact form on my website, danielcleland.com. Feel free to hit me up. I read every email and try to respond to all of them. Thanks again. Much love to you, and I hope we get to catch up soon. All the best.